Thank you, Jesus, for Kewen. Thank you for the word that you've put inside his heart. Thank you that it is from you. Thank you that we are going to be able to experience you tonight. And I pray that you would, um, that every word that comes out of his mouth would go directly into hearts, into individual hearts. I pray that it would answer the questions and that you'd even speak to him now, that you would um, guide his words and direct his words. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to have you all back. I see a lot of old faces and some that haven't been here for a while. And to all the new people, uh, welcome to our family year at Hatfield Christian Church. And uh, this is one of the services, but this is also a service where you'll see there's a lot more young adults. But uh, you just have to be a young adult at heart to be here. And I trust that you're going to be blessed. We are a community on a mission, which means we're the family of God, but we've also got a something to do together. And I believe that 2018 is going to be an incredible year of seeing God's purposes fulfilled in this city. And to be a part of this community, it's going to be a special time. So for those of you that have been here for a while and those of you that are thinking of being a part of this, I really believe God is moving here. And I wonder how 2017 was for you. Personally, it was not a, a great year. I feel like uh, I didn't gain much from the year except weight. And uh, I'm happy that it's 2018. I hope you had a great holiday. A lot of people make New Year's resolutions in the beginning of the year. We find that church is always a little bit fuller in January and February. We call them our January-February members. You're most welcome to be here. Please stay for the whole year. You will benefit. But uh, we will take you once a month. Uh, one month a year is also fine. Uh, and I always find that in a service like this where many people have come back from work, from leave, there's really an opportunity where we can regroup together as a community. And a new year means a chance for new things. And I really felt from the Lord a word tonight that tonight would be an opportunity to start afresh. That if you've come here tonight, that God is really offering you an opportunity for a clean slate. That 2018 can be a better year perhaps than 2017. And while we're all here together in the beginning of the year, before everyone kind of fades away, it's good to regroup in this time. And I, I felt that an opportunity in a service tonight would be to regroup as a community and tell our story. And many of you are familiar with our story, and some for the first time will hear it for the first time. And this is, of course, the story of how we came together to be a family here. We call this the story of the cross. And as I say the story of the cross, I wonder how that makes you feel. I know for some people, as I say the story of the cross, you feel a little bit heavy. You feel like a little bit condemned. When you think about the cross, it's maybe not a, a great feeling. But I wonder if you know that when the story of the cross was originally told, it was told as a story of love. Many people think it's a story of condemnation, but originally... It was a story of love. And a story is very important for us as a community. We need to know the story, our story of why we are here. Because the story that we all share is the story that we live together. And for many of us, we live a story every single day in our lives. And it goes something like this. I am bad. God is good. So try harder. I am bad, God is good, so try harder. We recognize that we aren't so great, and God is quite amazing, 
And so we try and work very hard to get to him, to be with him. And this is the story of condemnation. If I was to use a human relationship to illustrate this type of story, say that uh, my wife and I, God forbid, had a disagreement. And uh, after that, we were perhaps in different rooms. Maybe I'm lying on the couch and I get this revelation that actually I was in the wrong. Now, I know this is not real, uh, but <laughs> it dawns on me that while we were disagreeing, I was completely in the, room, uh, in, in the wrong. And so I begin to feel guilty. And I'm lying on the couch and I'm thinking about ways that I can make it up to my wife. I want to reconcile. I want to ask her for forgiveness. But I know that I was bad. And so I begin to plot and make plans. I think, you know, next time I see her, I'm going to be extra kind. I'm going to be more mindful. I'm going to make sure I throw my clothing in the washing basket. And maybe if the disagreement was particularly bad, I'll actually go out and buy flowers. And when I've worked hard enough and when I've done uh, enough work to make it right, then I feel okay to approach her and say, I'm sorry. And then the ball's in her court. And this is the story that many of us live in our relationship with God. And unfortunately, it's very difficult because God is so good and we mess up so much that we are in this constant place that if we believe this is our story, we are in a pretty bad situation because no matter how much we work, no matter how much we do, we can never really make it right. I wonder if you are living that story tonight. You feel, when you think of God, you, you feel guilty. You feel condemned. You feel like you just maybe need to go out and buy some flowers and then you can ask God for forgiveness. And if this was a true story, then I think it's bad news. I call it the gospel as opposed to the gospel, which is the good news. And the good news is a much better story. It is the true story. It's the story that God wants us to live, and it goes a little bit differently. The good news, or the good story, is that, yes, I am bad, and God is good, but God loves me. And God will do anything that He can to be with me. And this fundamentally changes the story that we are living. You see, if we were to take this true story and we were to use the same illustration in a human relationship, it would be as if, God forbid, my wife and I had a disagreement. And uh, we went into separate rooms and I realized in all my um, uh, amazingness that uh, I was wrong. And so I begin to scheme and I begin to think on the couch, what can I do? And as I turn around, here's my wife in the room, and she just hugs me, and she says, I forgive you. Before I can even come up with a plan, she has crossed the room and come to me and offered me forgiveness. At this point, I've got one of two choices. I can accept the forgiveness that she is offering me, or I can choose to live and continue to live in condemnation. I can choose to try and work it out. Even though she's already forgiven me and our relationship can be fine, I will still try and work and make, make us right. And so we have a choice. Do we want to live in the story of condemnation or in the story of love? And I want to suggest that the story of love is a much better story. And the best part about it is it's a true story. And it's our story. 
And so we as a community, starting off 2018 tonight, I want to tell you again our story. For some of you, you have been traveling with us for many, many years, and so it will be refreshing to rehear the story. And for some tonight, it might be the first time that you hear it. But I, wanted, I want you to know that it's the best story ever told, and I will try to do it justice. And so as I begin to tell the story, I want you to go on a journey with me and imagine that you are a part of the story because God wants you to be a part of the story. God loves you, and He will do anything to be with you. And 2018, why not start off this year by accepting this offer? God desperately wants to be with you. Don't walk out tonight without reconciling with Him. And so like all good stories, let me start at the beginning. In the beginning, we had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were together, and they decided that they wanted to have a family, and so they created the entire universe as a home for men and women. And of all the creation, the beauty of creation, which was a home, their, their prized creation, the Bible says, is man. And so God's desire was to have a family, and he had a family. And we read about this in Genesis 1, verse 27 to 28. It says, God created human beings, making them to be like himself. He created them male and female, blessed them and said, have many children. Hallelujah. <laughs> so in the beginning, we have a father, a unity, a relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they didn't want to just be a family by themselves, so they created man in their own image, and it was one big happy family. They created the universe for us to live in, and man and woman and God, they were close. They lived together in the same home. There was intimacy, and there was love. God loved His children. He was near to them, and for anyone that's been uh, a parent or in a home, you know that to run a household, it's good for the children if there's a couple of rules. Like all loving parents, rules for the children are motiva motivated by love. Now, for the sake of this section of the story, let us say that love is wanting the best for another. So every single rule that Father God made in his house was so that his children could have the best. And he taught his children well in the beginning. He said, I've made the universe to work in a certain way. And if you keep these rules, you're going to have the best. You're going to have a prosperous, abundant life, and you're not going to get hurt. And like a good, loving father, he also warned them that if you break these rules, you're going to get hurt. And so he warned them, and they understood these rules, and they lived together one big, happy family. But like... All interesting stories, something happens. Dun, dun, dun. The devil comes. Say, ooh. The devil comes and he tells a lie. And his lie is the oldest lie in the book and it strikes right at the heart of God. God, this loving father who wants nothing more than to be with his children and show them his love, the devil comes and he speaks to the first humans and he tells them this very simple lie, God doesn't really love you. I wonder if you've ever heard that lie. 
I wonder if you're here tonight and maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and you realize, I'm struggling with that lie. The devil was challenging the character of God. And uh, man, unfortunately, took the bait. They believed that God doesn't really want the best for them. And so that led them to break some of the laws. They decided to go it on their own. And of course, you know that when a rule is broken in God's universe, His loving laws, there's a consequence to breaking those laws. And it works a little bit like if you were to jump off a building, the consequence would be that you would fall and you would die. And so man broke the law, and as God promised, it led to death. This is the tragedy of our story. Many, many years ago, man and woman believed the lie. God doesn't really love you. This tragedy, the Bible says, cursed man. And it's a curse that we still experience today. This curse can be understood from two different angles. The first one, you can read about in Romans 5 verse 12. It says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. This part of the curse is the curse that we all know about. It's the, it makes it onto the news every single evening. It's the evil that we experience that we have no control over. There are some here tonight that have lost someone very close to them. And there are questions that cannot be answered. Why has this happened? Or perhaps you've been damaged and it wasn't your fault. You've been hurt and you're angry and you're upset and you didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not your fault that you did such a thing. But the reality is the Bible says we live in a world that is cursed, a world that has been affected by sin. So this is the evil around us that we have no control over. But the one I want to hone into is the second aspect of that, and that's much closer. It's much more personal. You see, it's not so much that Adam and Eve sinned one day long ago, it's that we too believe the lie of the devil. We too fall for the trap and believe that God doesn't really love us. God doesn't really want the best for us. And that also leads us to sin. We go our own way. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So at this point, if we were to end the story, it would be a complete tragedy. It would be hopeless. And from the human vantage point, as man is about to die and realizes that we are stuck, there is nothing we can do. Man can spend the rest of their time, the rest of their life trying to fix it, and they will never be able to make it right. They are doomed to die. And so we're stuck in a problem of our own making and a problem that we cannot fix. But this is where the story gets interesting, because something happens that you wouldn't perhaps expect. God looks upon man who has messed up really badly. And you know, if you live in the story of condemnation, maybe your first thought would be that God is angry, that God is upset. But the scripture tells us a very different story. God does not react in the same way that a human would react. He looks at us in our depravity and, and our messiness and everything that we've done. And he looked at those first humans and his heart was moved because he loved them. He looked at the mess they had created. 
and he had to probably do a quick calculation. It's going to cost a lot to fix this. So he looked at how much it cost to fix it. And then I suggest that he looked at man. And he made a decision that it was worth it. We know that the reason he thought it was worth it was because he loves us. Because the devil is a liar. Because God loves us. We read about this in John 3 verse 16 to 18. It says, this is how much God loved the world. I'm reading from the message. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted, and anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. God is a father who loves his children. And when he looked at the price that needed to be paid, you understand it's a very high price. Because what he paid was the highest price that a parent could pay. He gave his son, his only son. And so it speaks to something of the value that God sees in you. And so at this point, you've got a choice. Do you want to believe the lie of the story of condemnation? Or do you want to believe the truth? that the story of the cross is indeed a story of love. As we continue, we see Jesus is born as a man. He leaves heaven, and he lives as a man amongst us. But something is different. Jesus chooses to believe the truth. He doesn't give in to the lie. He is tempted to believe that God doesn't love him. But he says no to the lie and yes to the truth. And Jesus lives his entire life in perfect relationship with his Father in an intimate, loving relationship, showing us exactly what God wants all along. And we see that as Jesus ends the, and nears the end of his life, that he is obedient to his Father because he loves his Father and he trusts his Father. Even when that obedience meant towards the end that he would have to give up his life and die. And we know that Jesus didn't die a normal death. It was a horrible death a tortured death. He was mocked, shamed, and horrifically murdered by the very ones that he came to help. And you know, crucifixion, they say, is one of the most painful ways to die that we know. And so what is very interesting is you think at this point, Jesus has been living as fully God and fully man. And when he's at the peak of pain that anyone could experience, he's hanging on the cross you need to understand that Jesus is God. That with the click of his fingers, he could come off the cross. That he could stop the pain at any moment. And you know, if I was Jesus, I would give in much earlier. Yet, why on earth would Jesus endure when just with the click of his fingers, he could leave at any moment? I would suggest that he was tempted to. And maybe he was even thinking, does God really love me, but he chose to believe, yes, God really loves me. And then he felt the pain, and he thought, is, is it worth it to feel this pain? And perhaps he thought of you and decided to push on because you're worth it. And so Jesus is suffering and 
then he dies. And this is an incredible act of love. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. So Jesus is offered on God's behalf and he voluntarily takes our punishment, our death that should have come our way. And as Jesus dies, the price is paid, and this horrible curse that we all live under is broken. So the death sentence lifts for all those who want the gift. They can now have it. Jesus wipes the slate clean. Tonight, a word from the Lord I feel for us is that he wants to give you a clean slate this year. It's the great reversal. Romans 5 verse 19 says, for just As through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous, in right standing with God. You see, it appears as if this was God's master plan all along, that when we were stuck in the muck, he he decided we were worth it, and he decided to pay the price. And this by itself would already be the greatest story ever told. It would be enough to live for and it would be enough to die for. But God doesn't do average. He decides to take it to the next level. And so three days later, after Jesus has died, there's a final mystery that is revealed. It's the day that the Father completes His master plan. And so quickly, let's use our imagination and imagine that you are one of Jesus' early disciples. Just three days ago, you were standing at the cross, and you just watched Jesus, your Lord, who you've been following for three days, die horrifically. I can tell you this was not a nice experience. They were not singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, as Jesus died. It didn't feel good. It felt horrible. And they were standing there, and they didn't understand. They didn't know. They watched him die, and he was dead. Dead, 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 dead. This is a terrible moment. Imagine you're one of those disciples and you're looking up at Jesus. He's dead. And he even just said, it is finished. And you don't even know what that means. So, uh, dead body. I wonder if maybe the disciple was thinking, does God really love me? Does God really want to be with me? He just died. And so, in a darkest moment, as a disciple is Wondering, imagine you're the disciple three days later. There is no hope. You feel like it's all done. God doesn't love you. And you're on your way to visit the tomb where you yourself put Jesus' dead body just two days earlier. And you're expecting another day of mourning. Yet, Luke 24 verse 5 tells us that they are greeted by angels who say, Why are you looking among the dead? For one who is alive. He is not here. He has been raised. Mm. The master plan is revealed. The father raises Jesus to life. And everything changes. Jesus is alive. And he doesn't rise to condemn us. Pointing the finger saying look what you've done. He rises to embrace us. He rises to life. To connect us back to the source of life. As Jesus rises and you see his body, the disciples looked at him and they touched him. 
He was concrete evidence that the devil is a liar. He was concrete evidence that God indeed does love you. That God indeed does want to be with you. That not even death can keep him from you. That he will do everything. He will even die and come back from the dead to be with you. He will pay the price. And so the veil is torn. We're welcomed back into his presence because our Father, the Father who created us, that has spent your entire life dying to be with you, literally dying to be with you, has made a way. You have a choice. Will you accept this offer or will you continue to live in the story of condemnation? I know I want to live in the truth, which is the story of love. This is the story of God's love. The story of the cross is not about condemnation. The story of the cross is about God's love for you. Brennan Manning is an author and he tells an incredible story. It's a true story about how he got his name. And so he grew up in middle America and he had a friend called Ray. And Ray and Brennan, they grew up, they rode bicycles together, they went to the same school together. And uh, when they graduated, they both decided to enlist in the army. And so they were trained, and they both happened to be deployed into the same area. It was a pretty dangerous deployment. They went behind enemy lines, and this happened in the Korean War. And so Ray and Brennan were together behind enemy lines. And one day, after a particularly bad bit of fighting, they were resting in a foxhole together. And Brennan recounts how Ray was sitting across from him eating a chocolate. And they were relaxing. And for a moment, it felt like the war wasn't happening. And they were talking about their childhood. They were recounting the good old days as they used to cycle together. At one point, while they were talking, a live grenade dropped in between them. It had been thrown from the enemy. Brennan looked over at Ray, his friend, who was eating the chocolate, and Ray calmly put the chocolate down and rolled over onto the live grenade. Ray was killed, but his sacrifice saved Brennan's life. Years later, Brennan had a life change, and he became a priest. And when you become a priest in this particular order, you adopt the name of a saint, And actually, his name originally was Richard Manning, but he adopted his friend Ray Manning's name. And so he became Brennan Manning. Sorry, his friend Brennan's name. And so he became Brennan Manning to honor the sacrifice that Brennan had made. And so a few years after he was a priest, he went back to his hometown and he was visiting at Ray's house where Ray's mother was still living. And he was talking a little bit about the war, and it was late in the evening, and he was comforting Ray's mother. And at some point, Brennan asked a question, and it had been bubbling up inside, and he wasn't able to articulate it, and it just came out. And he said to Ray's mother, ma'am, do you think that Ray really loved me? Ray's mother jumped up off the couch and said to him, Jesus Christ! What more can he do? Brennan had a revelation, an epiphany at that moment. He imagined that he was standing at the cross, and there was Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
pointing at Jesus' dead body on the cross and saying, Jesus Christ, what more can he do? What more can Jesus do to prove to you that the devil is a liar? What more can he do to show you that God loves you? God has done everything that he can to give you concrete evidence that God, that he himself loves you. The Father wants to be with you. He wants to be near to you. And you know, if you're living in the story of condemnation, you might feel like you can't come. Like you, you still need to work. You still need to do something. But you know, the Father has done everything. If you would just turn, He is waiting there for you. He has paid the price, and He's there for you because He loves you. And tonight's an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to replace the lie that the devil is, is telling. To say, yes, Jesus, I believe that there's nothing more you can do. I don't know, I'm not going to wait for you to prove to me anymore that you love me. You've already done it. And so maybe tonight there's an opportunity if you recognize that Jesus' sacrifice for you is worthy of, of more than just a, a nod. Maybe it's worthy of your life. Maybe tonight you want to adopt a new name. You recognize that Jesus died for you and you want to adopt Jesus' name. A new name. Same as Brendan Manning adopted his friend's name. You can take a new identity if you accept what Jesus has done. And so I want to do two responses. The first one is for everyone here, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, or maybe here for the first time, I think if you ask the question, what do you do with a love like that? The first response is gratefulness. And so won't you join me in a prayer to just thank the Lord for what he's done for us. Lord, we here as a community, as we remember your story, the story of love, our hearts are overwhelmed with gratefulness, Jesus, for what you've done for us. What good news to hear that we don't have to do anything, that we just have to respond to you. We say thank you, Lord, and we recognize what you've done. You don't have to do anything more. We love you, Lord. Amen. It's good to pray a prayer of gratefulness to express our love towards the Lord. The second prayer, and I'm not going to ask you to do this publicly or anything like that, but maybe as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart, and I feel to particularly focus on those that feel far from God, that you have maybe strayed, and you, like me, were maybe sitting on the couch and wondering, what can I do to get back? And tonight you've realized that God is standing right next to you and saying, I forgive you. Will you choose to accept that forgiveness? Tonight is a night where you can come back to him without doing anything except saying yes. If you've never done this, you can also be a part of it. If you have never heard this story before and you go, yes, Jesus, I want to live for you, you can have this prayer too. So if we can just all bow our heads, this is going to be completely private. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to accept his forgiveness and say, Lord, from today, I will live with you and for you forever, just pray after me. Lord, I recognize today, you can just pray in your heart or under your breath. Lord, I recognize today that you love me. I choose to stop believing the lies. I choose to believe the truth that you love me. 
Please forgive me. I accept your forgiveness. I want to live for you. Amen. Some of you would have prayed a prayer like that before. I want to say you can pray that prayer a hundred times. Make sure that you are rooted in His love for you. If there's one message that I can preach every single week, it's the message that God loves you. Because you cannot hear it enough. And so what a great way to start this year together as a community where we are refreshed by the purity of this message. This is our message. This is our story. And you can be a part of it as you're part of a community. We, as a community together, believe that this is the truth. And if you believe that this is the truth, then you can be a part of this community. You too can have a family and you can have a home. And you know, we need your help to, to remind us because sometimes we forget. Maybe you were here tonight and you forgot a little bit of the story. I trust that it will be fresh in your mind. And so, since everyone now in the room is Christ followers, we can take communion together and uh, make sure that you all have Jesus in your heart. We're going to have a special time now of communion, if, if I can ask the worship team to, to come. And what a, what a wonderful thing to do to start off this year together with communion, with the gospel fresh in our mind. I pray that you will be encouraged that God loves you and that He's with you. And so we're going to have an opportunity now to do what Jesus asked us to do. He said on the night just before He died, He broke bread. And he said, this is his body broken for you because he loves you. Do this together as a community to remember what I've done. That's what we've been doing tonight. And then he took a cup of wine and he poured it and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And tonight as we take that action, I encourage you, you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be someone who wants to follow Jesus who believes that he loves you. Take a step tonight, and uh, we're gonna, there's going to be um, uh, a chance to come to either that table or that table, and we're going to just spend some time in worship. And let this be a special communion, remembering what God has done and committing yourself to him for this year. So we'll just take some time, soak in the presence of the Lord, and then we will do some announcements after that. Lord, I pray that as we come as a community in the beginning of this year, we know that we need your presence. We need to have this story fresh in our mind if we're going to make it. We need to be reminded of your love, Lord. We're sorry for believing lies and we want you to be at the forefront. Father, thank you that if we were to just stand up and come, you would meet us. And as we take the action now of even coming to remember, I pray that we will feel you near us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.